This is The Guardian. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. It is the semi-finals of the World Cup. And Morocco stand between England and the World Cup final. No, that's just one I had in my drafts. It's the semi-finals of the World Cup. Morocco versus France and Argentina, Croatia. Is it time for Messi? Are the Croatians, you know, you know, what kind of epic s housery are we in store for? Or did the Argentinians use it up last time out? Meanwhile, how many times have we said, I think it's one step too far for them about Morocco? But surely France will be one step too far for them. The England inquest continues. Gareth Southgate says he wants some time before he makes a decision. And Cambridge United get a creditable draw and a clean sheet at home to high-flying Plymouth. All that plus your questions. And that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Robin Cowan, welcome. Hi, Max. Mark Langdon, hello. Hello, Max. Uh, from Doha, Marcela Mora Iharajo, hello. Hello. And Barca Jim, friend of the pod, says, for Barry, how good does a fear-free semi-final preview <laughs> pod feel? Yeah, it's quite relaxing, I suppose. Um, but I feel your pain, Max. I feel your pain. <laughs> That's all right. Uh, let's start with Argentina, Croatia. Gonzalo Montiel, Marcus Acuna are suspended for the semi-finals. Tagliafico will probably come in for Alonso. De Paul and Di Maria should be fit to start. Croatia are not tired. All players are available. Uh, Marcella, you were there for the quarterfinal. You'll be there for the semis. How are you feeling? Well, I was just thinking when you say fear-free, what uh, you're not talking about me, clearly. Argentina didn't choose the easy way. And, you know, here we are. It's very good news, I think, for this squad, for Messi, for Argentina fans, etc., to get to the semi-final. It's a, it's a superb kind of seal of approval and stamp of achievement and now I think they could win they could win this match against Croatia and then we'll be in the final and and then I don't know what's gonna happen I mean is the world gonna start spinning in an opposite direction but I am quite fascinated by the the narrative of Argentina's football and the matches and how it just seems every game has been a little improvement in whatever identifiable weakness that the match before, you know, displayed. And I and I also I'm quite fascinated by how Messi's settling into his his character, the the real Messi's taking shape. And I mean, a lot has been said about him being possessed by Maradona or something because he kind of lashed out at the ref and and the. Dutch player, you know, the number 19, as he said. But his lashing out was saying, go away, you silly. And I think that's so messy. Like Maradona would invent an amazing new insult that was so obscene and horrible and interesting that a new language would develop. And Messi's just so kind of silly. It's such a playground. It's like something your granny would say, you know. <laughs> oh, you spilled your soup, silly. And, it, and it's it's just become... This brilliant phrase, like within minutes, there's T-shirts that some people are mixing it with cumbia music. And maybe, you you know, I can send you something, you could play it. It's oh, fantastic, brilliant. new, epic kind of slogan. Go away, you silly. In messy, in messy speak. Oh, come it up. Hello, what's up? Hello, what's up? Oh, come it up. Hello, what's up? Hello, what's up? Oh, come it up. Hello, what's up? I think this is him settling into being comfortable being him. So obviously he's always, you know, we've always known he hates losing. He gets really angry. There's, I interviewed him in 2009 and he told me how for, for ages he thought he didn't know he was really good at football because he thought his older brothers and their mates whom he played with 
let him win because they knew he would have such a terrible tantrum if he didn't win. And so I just think it's a wonderful image of, of Messi like drooping about thinking, oh, they're going to let me win because no one wants my, my really strong lashing out of calling them all silly if they don't <laughs> let me win. And here he is now. And, and you know, I, I just think this idea that he's Maradona is, is not, it doesn't work for me. And I, and I, I think you can see it in those tiny moves he suddenly does, you know, the, the, the split second in which he does something genius like this, creating that thing, passing to Molina, where you wonder how did he even see that? And then you realise he didn't see Molina. He didn't use sight in the same way <laughs> as we do. And so everything is about fitting in with the team and managing his his anger whereas maradona was always about you know in 86 maradona did that amazing run against all these english players and valdano was running along him and for years and years valdano tells the story of how he was just hoping he would get the pass from maradona and then in the changing room after the match maradona said i could see you there but i wanted the goal for myself I wanted to just keep going and I knew I could do it and then it's like how could he see me as well as everything else <laughs> isn't this an amazing specimen of human and I think that's Messi's kind of playmaking in two or three instances throughout the tournament that have been the kind of pivotal point where Argentina haven't gone out because Messi's saved it it's it's entirely about Messi understanding that he doesn't want it for himself he wants the result. He wants the team result and the group result. And then you see it again when, when at the end, everyone rushes to celebrate together and he goes to find Debo Martinez because I just think he's so tuned into, he's so much part of a, of a bigger thing. I'm fascinated by it. I, Marcella, have been accused on uh, social media of being an island journalist and of it being in my blood to slaughter Argentina whenever I get the chance because I found their shithousery like just almost too much against the Netherlands. Am I am I an, a biased island journalist, do you think? You are. Uh, well, I know you're a biased <laughs> island journalist and it's in your blood, but I think the shithousery was both ways. I mean, the Netherlands fouled actually twice as as much as Argentina. And I think Van Gaal is a provocative um, uh, so-and-so. I'm just going to go all messy <laughs> here. I get really tough. And and I think, you know, the, the emotions and the, the kind of testosterone is building up. We're getting to the end of the tournament, so feelings are very tense. And again, I just find um, Messi's kind of ear celebration, which called Topo Gigio, based on a character called Topo Gigio from uh, my childhood. So how these guys know it, I have no idea. But that's Riquelme's celebration, famously snubbed by Van Gaal in Barcelona. And so I just think Messi's kind of incorporating all this symbolism. And he's going like that at Van Gaal, and then Edgar Davis trying to kind of calm him down it's just brilliant it's like the whole it's the whole history of football in a single compact <laughs> little drama and uh you know you could take any incident an image and i think i mean you could you can mind the shithousery or not mind it but i think overall it was quite quite calm and contained and you know again the uh, Dibu martinez spits on his you know, he has all these rituals and he touches each goalpost first and he, I don't know, it's a big thing about his penalty keeping. And then he spits in his hands and just pats the ref. But it's not any old ref. It's, it's that Spanish guy from the Madrid-Barcelona hatred of, you know, year-long battles of medieval kind of wars in, 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 in football folklore. I don't mind you not liking it, but I just think it was the <laughs> most fantastic kind of theatrical exposition of, uh, you know, we're not going to, I think it's Messi saying, I'm just not going to take it anymore. I'm angry. I'm a massive hypocrite as well because I do love S. Hazard. It was just Paredes just kicking at the bench. I just went, well, can't, this is ridiculous. Anyway, Robin, Robin. <laughs> Is this all leading up to Messi handballing it in in the final <laughs> and somehow <laughs> VAR not seeing it? Is that the narrative? I just want to ask Marcelo that 
it just seems this time it's not all on Messi's shoulders, even though he is instrumental and he looks like he's having the best World Cup of his career and they obviously want to do it for them. It does seem like there's a real cohesion, whereas, I don't know, the previous World Cups, it did seem like if he doesn't perform, no chance. Well, I agree. I think it's really interesting. I mean, I think if he doesn't perform, no chance, or if for any reason he say he wasn't couldn't play, you know, I think without him, it's not a world-class team. It's a workman's team. But I do think perhaps the mistake for many years in terms of the Argentina-Messi kind of dynamic was this idea, which is what, what the Maradona dynamic used to be. If you just get the ball to him, he'll sort everything out. And, the, and he's not a guy that you get the ball and he sorts everything out. He needs to be generating and seeing and knowing in his head, so he's maybe just drooling around and thinking, Ugh, but somehow measuring the spaces and seeing where everyone is. And that, that to me is the most lovely thing about about his game and about how Argentina have come through and I think one of the reasons why I worry that people are saying oh he's Maradonized and you know he's now angry and he's usually so respectful I I just think that burden of being Maradona is really needs to be avoided and in a way he's had the, the his best world cup as you say and looks like he's actually enjoying it possibly because he is kind of suddenly quite comfortable being awkward messy and doing what he needs to do. And he's found this group of, of the squad and this group of managers, because I think a management team is crucial here. They're not just looking to him. They're not, it's not just get the ball to Messi and, and then sit back and watch him. It's entirely about be there for Messi, be ready for his pass, his ball, um, whatever and yeah I think that's fascinating actually I, there's a, an academic paper there looking at group group dynamics and leadership the non-leading leadership yeah there's also an academic paper Mark on Croatia and the fact that they're still going and you know what we're 13 minutes in and we haven't mentioned one of the teams in this semi-final I think they probably wouldn't mind that would they no, I think they're very comfortable um, playing that role. They thrived on it four years ago with you know they, um, the it's coming home um, kind of stuff that they they used to um, in, you know, in the dressing room before the game against England to just raise themselves for one more effort. I mean, against Brazil, you know the stats: eleven shots on target to one shot on target. Um, but you still felt like they were always in the game. And I think they're always in the game because their midfield is so good that it takes the pressure off of the defence. They can uh, pass around any team, particularly ones you know, in international football where pressing's not sort of um, that frequent, certainly not like it is in, in club football. And Argentina haven't pressed the ball much um, so far. So I expect Croatia to just um, keep popping it around them in midfield, taking sort of three, four, five minutes out of the game, um, slowing it down, playing it at their pace, trying to contain Messi by having the ball and not letting Argentina have the ball. They have more possession um, than Brazil in, in that quarterfinal. The one issue they've got is that if you go through the list of Argentinian forwards and the, the players are not even starting and then go through the ones that Croatia have got front, there isn't there isn't that much there. I mean, Petkovic... Um, Produced that moment um, against Brazil, and he also had one dribble which, which led to a shot over the bar. But most of his play when he came on was um, that of like a I don't know, like a championship target <laughs> man. Really, it was a real throwback to sort of eighties, nineties. Not very, he, he did everything slowly, but they stay in games. Yeah, I mean that is what we said about the Brazil. It's literally I've, I can remember it. it's exactly what we said about previewing this game. Was you look at Brazil's forwards, you look at their bent, and you look at what Croatia have got up front, and it's. It's nothing. And I suppose, Barry, like Croatia is a country of four and a half million people and they're one game away from their second consecutive World Cup final. It's That is ridiculous. Yeah, it is remarkable. Um, I mean, what, Croatia has only been in existence for, what is it, 30 years? I don't think people really appreciate quite how much they are punching above the weight. It would be like Ireland getting to consecutive semi-finals, you know, that in terms of population. And that's 
absolutely unthinkable. That Ireland getting to consecutive World Cups is unthinkable. <laughs> I'd really enjoy the pods, though, Barry. I'd just like to just reverse. <laughs> the, it'd be quite extraordinary. I don't think I'd be fit to, to be... I wouldn't be able to participate. Um, I'd be just too overcome with nerves. But... Um, uh, as I said before, it is very much one last job. And can they get two more games out of this set of players? I, I certainly, you would be an absolute fool to to write them off. But I do think that Argentina will win this game, and that I may end up sounding daft. But uh, yeah, I I think Argentina will be too good for this. What do you on, think on this occasion? I I just think. Again, they are the T one thousand from Terminator Two, <laughs> Croatia. They're just you know you, you think you've got them, and then they go, and then they just run after your car. You know, it's just they are unbelievable. And I do think that it's quite an interesting dynamic because I don't think the shithousery if Argentina try and pull that off will affect them. They they seem to be really dead eyed and like, okay, we'll just keep going. And um, but yeah, I think. I think Mark raises a good point. I think the manager's changed the central striker three times in the last three games. So it really, there's no attacking threat at all, but they have that control in midfield. They've not won a knockout game in 90 minutes in the last, in this World Cup or the previous one. I, I've heard them, um, a couple of people describe them as like a test match <laughs> team. They just, <laughs> they just keep going. I think that's a really good analogy. So, I mean, that that's the thing. Are, are they... It's almost like can Argentina, I, I don't know, this might be a, a completely too much of a cliche, Marcelo, but the emotion, uh, Argentina feel like a more emotional team, whereas Croatia are just totally in control and like it just who, who's going to be, who's going to come out on top in that sort of contrast of sort of moods almost. Yeah, I mean, I think to, to, to kind of counter cliche you, um, <laughs> it, the amazing thing about football is exactly that, that number 100 ranked can beat the number one. And it's it's possibly one of the few sports where that does sometimes happen. And so, but I think here we have quite even evenly matched. I mean, I, I'm interested to, to watch this game. I think, I hope I can watch it. <laughs> <laughs> um, It'd be good to get you on. It'll be get you on after the semi-final. What, what, how did you make it? Sorry, I was just, I've covered my eyes. Didn't any see questions? Any please, yes, please, what happened? Can I have a score? Um, but, but I think um, that, yes, that, so the, the kind of stereotypes are Croatia was, and, and, and Luka Modric, who was also having his own epic novella of, you know, so this is like two ageing, wonderful stars. One is walking away tomorrow and the other is reaching, you know, the, the pinnacle of glory um, and it, anything could happen. But, but just from a, a kind of footballing tactic point of view, which is not something I'm comfortable discussing in any way, I'm interested to see how what they do because with the Netherlands, I was thinking, oh, Argentina have got this, you know, pass, 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 everything seems really nice, who goes up? And then there was this stat about how Netherlands hadn't shot a goal at all. So you think, okay, that's actually quite scary because the, they haven't even been trying, so that's why they haven't scored. So now if they, if they suddenly go, now we need a few goals, and they get two in a minute 100 or whatever in this new football, <laughs> that's 100 minutes. So I just love it. It's also surreal. Minute 101 doesn't exist in, in football before this World Cup. <laughs> the game's finished by then. But Galina's now everything's delighted, happening in minute 100. <laughs> yeah. But, so I think it will be really interesting. And Argentina need to kind of sort out that, that someone was saying Argentina doesn't have a midfield. And I think they just need to sort out this what they do with these two kind of volatile people on the side, because any, any tough, resilient uh, European kind of powerhouse or Terminator assassin can break through that. I can, I can see that that's easy to do. So it will be about the passion and the emotion and the kind of general, you know, rendering to the, to the messy genius 
whether or not. And also, I think the other thing that's happened, I'll, I'll be as brief as I can, is that op- opponents of Messi have lost the fear a little bit. Mm. So whereas we used to have this kind of, oh, I'll just get a selfie with Messi or can I swap shirts or it's so lovely to be near you. Um, and, and, if, and I see that from what I've seen, the Croatians aren't, that they're not falling in love with any kind of uh, romantic notion of South American, you know, keepy uppy, fiddly nutmecky. They're, they're coming in for the kill. And I hope neutrals who enjoy it can tell me all about it. <laughs> um, Mark, I mean, aside from Messi and, you know, that midfield three of Croatia, like there are other people on the pitch, right? Who else is important? Well, I think uh, Garvidal and, and Lovren at the back, you know, Lovren much maligned from his time in England, but hasn't done much wrong, I don't think, in this World Cup. And next to him, Garvidal has been one of the, the best players uh, in, in the tournament. And I know he's sort of up there, probably him or, or Fernandez probably wins the young player um, of the tournament, which is another award that, um, that they give out. So um, I think from Croatia's point of view, those two centre-backs, because you, you do need to defend well. Um, Petkovic, who I gave the rub down to earlier on, actually, if you look at where Argentina had struggled, it is with sort of big, just knocking it long into the box. Australia caused them problems. Netherlands caused them problems. So maybe Petkovic, actually, this is a game that suits him and that they can be uh, more direct. And for as far as Argentina are concerned, I think it's a big one that Di Maria looks like he's back and 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 fit. Hasn't delivered too much in this World Cup because obviously he's been um, injured for some of it. But I actually felt when he came on, I know it was extra time and the Dutch were tired, but he made a big difference when he came on um, against Netherlands. And I, I just like the way he connects with Messi. And and, and I think if, if Di Maria and Messi you know, are playing well and they're getting Messi the ball where they need to, um, him to deliver in that final third, then Argentina always look better when Messi's got the ball and in, in that sort of dangerous area. And I think Di Maria gives the ball to him better than most of those Argentinian players. All right. Well, uh, that'll do for our uh, look ahead to uh, Argentina, Croatia. Thank you, Marcella. Uh, we'll chat to you afterwards, whether you've watched the game or not. I, I will watch it and I'll chat to you um, and, I'll, and I'll be connected because I've learned I've learned the internet now as well. Marvellous. All right, we'll chat to you then. Cheers, Marcella. See ya, thanks. Uh, Marcella Mora Iharaujo will be on after the semi-final uh, and that'll do for part one. Part two, we'll do France versus Morocco. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly, France versus Morocco. Barry, you've been, you know, you've been Morocco's, I wouldn't say number one fan. I've seen some people on the streets of Rabat who are slightly more excited than, than you, but you've been sort of bigging them up and rightly so since quite early in the tournament. Yeah, um, and it turns out it's it's no surprise they're good because I, I was reading this morning, I think it was an athletic piece. Back in 2007, the the king or crown prince or whatever in Morocco invested millions of pounds in a an academy. It's sort of like a Moroccan equivalent of St. George's Park and this has apparently been responsible for, for a lot of improvement in the national team. They go into this game and I I actually, I fear for them for the first time in this tournament because Roman size is desperate to be fit. I don't see how he can possibly be fit for this semi-final. He's he's did his hamstring against Spain, uh, played on, did it, uh, it aggravated it uh, against Portugal and came off on a stretcher. He'll be like the knight. He'll be like the knight in the life of Brian. <laughs> <laughs> well, Robin Robin mentioned the T one thousand earlier. He, he he has refused to rule himself out of the semi-final, but. <laughs> I will be astonished if he makes it onto the pitch. Uh, Nea Fagard is also a huge doubt. He's got a, a low-grade tear in his thigh, which apparently takes one to three weeks to um, heal. And I imagine David Moyes, his <laughs> manager, who hasn't really... I think he's only played him once or been able to play him once uh, since he signed for West Ham. Uh, he'll be looking on through his fingers if, if a guard makes it onto the pitch. 
Um, Nusra Mizrui, the first choice left back, is also a doubt, I think. And there are minor concerns over Hakim Ziyech. So they could conceivably be without their first choice back four, but they'll probably be, definitely will be without two of them, I'd say, and uh, Ziyech should be okay. And then uh, Walid Shadir is suspended. Now, he's an interesting character because um, he's been sort of their go-to guy for, they bring him on late doors and he gallops upfield on counter-attacks. And he's very good at, you know, getting the ball, sprinting upfield, and then finds himself one-on-one with goalkeepers and just forgets to shoot. (laughs) Runs straight into the the opposition goalkeeper. So they'll be without him as well after he got sent off for for two yellow cards in the quarterfinal. I would love Morocco to win the semi-final. I I really would, but I think it might be a game too far for them. Robin? I think I agree. I mean... I really, I'm with Barry. I'd so love them to to go through. It's just such a shame, as Barry outlined there, that they've basically, their whole, nearly their whole back four, if they do play, are not going to be 100%, um, nowhere near it. So that that's that's such a massive shame because obviously that was the it's the basis of their whole World Cup. They've they've not actually been behind the whole tournament. So if they did concede first, it would be interesting to see you know, how they would change because they'd have to. Um, but, you know, they still have, still have you know, really good players that can cause some problems. Unahi's been brilliant. Um, I think Lars Sivertsen was saying how how great he's been, you know, technically really good. Ziyech, obviously, and Bufal. They've also provided the wholesome content with the mums, haven't they, on, oh, the, on the pitch? So oh, good. It's so good. It's so good. And actually... I don't, I don't think it should be underestimated that... So I did the France-Tunisia game, and obviously France made a lot of changes their third group game. And Tunisia, they're sort of rivals. You know, they were whistling the whole time. And it was a really like... they were France were the away team, and it's going to be the same this time. They really crumbled a little bit, France, under that. Obviously, they didn't play their first team. But I think that it could, it could affect them slightly because... Yeah, Morocco are going to outnumber the French fans by some distance. So I think that it could it could have some impact. But I agree with Barry. I just I just wonder if this might be the journey coming to an end, which would be a massive, massive shame. Um, it's quite hard for me, Mark, to to review how well France played in the quarterfinal because I was only watching the England players. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm not I'm not sure at all. But they did they they didn't appear to be great, which makes me even sadder but you know like 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 they didn't they didn't sort of have a flow about them in that game yeah i um, I, I totally agree that it, it wasn't a particularly good um, french performance they won the game and that um you know you can then start talking about you know a champion team but they weren't a champion team when they not with beaten by switzerland on penalties you know people were saying actually there were a lot of problems in in the camp i just think they won a tight game of football you know that happens you know, regularly at this kind of level, when you've got two teams of a similar ability, um, you know, it just, Lloris saved a couple of the England shots that maybe on another day he doesn't. And and France man- managed to win um, the, the match. I, you know, Mbappe was kept as quiet as he, as he could be, really. Um, and that will be an interesting battle up against Hakimi, who is somebody that can match him for speed, but... Uh, you, you would have, he's got a lot on Hakimi because he's such an attacking outlet for Morocco as well and he maybe won't be able to do that as much because of the fearfulness of Mbappe in midfield um, they, they they protect the defence reasonably well but you know Griezmann is the one that, that offers the creativity otherwise you know you don't get too much um, in, in terms of that sort of creativity in, in the midfield areas and even at the back there were there were times when I wasn't convinced about that left-hand side, particularly Upamecano uh, is very rash and Teo Hernandez is almost like a wing-back really playing as a left-back. He wants to be um, in the attacking third rather than defending. So I don't see this as being like a complete French team. When they were in the, the semi-finals four years ago, 
um, they look so solid. And I, I was wondering how you were supposed to sort of score against them because if you overcommitted, they would just hurt you on the counter-attack. They were strong on set pieces. Um, this team, I don't think, is is quite as good as that one, but they might not need to be um, for all the reasons that have been outlined already as to sort of, you know, Morocco's problem. So I, I don't think it was a, a, a great French performance, but they are in the... You know they've got the easiest semi-final, and you know, they they should make the final. There there are no excuses for them not to make the final. Uh, Phil sent in a question actually after the quarter-final, Barry, which said, "Has Lloris been in deep cover at Spurs, convincing England that he's a liability? He um, like <laughs> he's got a rick in him, and he hasn't made any of them yet." Yeah. I, I, he hasn't. There haven't been any obvious howlers, or certainly none that spring to mind. But I still think he hasn't looked hugely convincing he did play quite well against England but I I still very much think he has a rick in him uh, I I I think we mentioned before that apart from a couple of notable exceptions the standard of goalkeeping in this tournament hasn't been brilliant and I would say of the two goalkeepers in the semi-final I, I would rather have Bono uh, than, than Lloris but yeah he, he hasn't done much wrong I suppose what's interesting from both these games, Mark, is they will look, they feel like they will look similar, right? It's not like neither neither game will have both teams going at it. I know Croatia and Morocco will play it in slightly different ways. Croatia try and keep the ball without attacking. Morocco are just happy to defend. But you sort of have a similar feel to both games. You would have thought so. Um, you know, there are two strong favourites in, in the matches. Also think from an, um, an atmosphere point of view, you have got like what will feel like two uh, home slash away games, as, as Robin said there, and those fans will be important for um, Morocco because um, you know, Amrabat was just, he looked exhausted against Portugal. I, I, I don't know how much ground he has covered in this tournament, but he's been remarkable, but he could barely run um, when I, the, the clock was ticking on again past that sort of 100-minute mark or whatever against Portugal. And so you do worry about that energy from, from the, the Moroccan point of view. and. If France score, see if France score first, where, where the games might be different is if France score first. I I would imagine that that would be it um, for for that semi final. If Argentina score first, um, I'm not switching off because you know Croatia probably won't get going and until it gets to about 85 minutes anyway. So um, that, that that's where the games might be different. I, I agree that there are two fairly strong favourites, but there, there's one team that I would fancy to come back more than the other. What final do you want, Barry? Um, I honestly don't mind any permutation. I, I think I would like to see Argentina in the final, against whom I'm not bothered. But, uh, well, actually, no, I would like to see Argentina in the final. I would like to see Morocco in the final. So Argentina, Morocco. <laughs> what about you, Robin? I'd like to see Croatia, Morocco, because no one would have expected it. It's, it's like a kind of... um. So when Swansea and Bradford made it to the, the <laughs> Carabao Cup, yeah, yeah, it's like that. I mean, the TV, the TV companies would be absolutely furious. They'll all want a France Argentina, won't they? Because that's the sort of box office one. But yeah, um, I'd love to see it. Um, what I'd, my prediction, because I can't, I, I just simply, I'm still hurting, and I can't put France through. Is that Hernandez will tr- attempt another shoulder barge and cock it up, and then Morocco will score a penalty and get through. <laughs> I think Rabiot afterwards was saying, you know, it wasn't a penalty. Oh, I've, come I mean, I've on. I've talked about this. I mean, <laughs> it it's was like ludicrous. The, managers and players do this all the time. You know, it's not just Rabiot. They just go, yeah, look, the manager, the referee's got, he's not going to go back and change his decision. You're through, for goodness sake. It was so obviously a foul. Mark, what do you, what do you want to see? I want to see Argentina against France. I, I you know, I feel like from a final point of view, I, I would like to see the two best teams I was just about to say going at it, but they you don't tend to go at it, do you, in, in World Cup finals? Even then, I'd imagine it'd be pretty sort of pedestrian pace. That's just the way most international matches are. But yeah, I mean, Mbappe against Messi, Argentina against France would, um, I think, be the best final. I, I, We don't always get that, though. And so I wouldn't be surprised if there was a, a twist somewhere, but it would more likely, I think, to come in the Argentina game. 
We do get the third, fourth place playoff as well, though, don't we? Everyone's looking forward to that. <laughs> what a third, fourth playoff. That would be Argentina v France. Uh, Jamie says, if Morocco beat France and then Croatia, is this the smallest geographical region of teams to beat in the knockouts on the way to the World Cup final and winning it? Spain, Portugal, France, Croatia, they've basically won the Euros. Um, and uh, we had a really interesting email from Adam. He says, hey, Max, everyone. Adam from Morocco here. Uh, old Premier League fan, long-time listener of the podcast. Barry has always been one of my heroes, Steady. Oh, Jesus. Uh, with both his, it's not the point of the email, but, you know, it's some praise for you. Because normally Barry... You could just stop there. Yeah, normally Barry zones out of these long emails, but he might listen to this one because it's praised him. Barry's always been one of my heroes with both his enthusiasm for an overlooked interesting story and yet total indifference to whatever is happening in world football or life for that matter. This isn't the first time he's made what seemed like massive crazy calls before games only to be vindicated. This time is bigger than others for me so I really appreciated his fairness and belief in the Moroccan team's solidity even when I didn't. This is a bit of a weird tangent but if there is one place that would hear it it's this one so I'll take my shots. As an Amazir a.k.a. Berber person. I hope that I've pronounced that correctly. I get a little bit upset when people celebrate Morocco's victories as a win for the Arab or Muslim world. Not that I'm not happy to share the win with these communities, but nobody ever mentions us when we're half of the Moroccan population. Most of the Moroccan players in Europe come from Berber families, especially from places like Germany, Belgium and Holland. Hakimi, Ziyech, Amrabat and even superstars like Benzema Zidane and Mahrez are all Berber players. People are happy for the relatively small footballing nation that is Morocco, and I get and I appreciate that a lot. But since Amazias have no representation in the Arab or even Moroccan media, which again can be put in a lengthy historical context, it would really mean the world to me if at least my favourite podcast gives us some credit and best wishes. In every Moroccan game of this World Cup, you'll see the Amazia flag flying high. It was even confiscated during one of the games by Qatari officials who mistook it for an LGBTQ plus flag, a mix-up I'm always proud to support. I'm really sorry for going on this boring rant, but our culture is thousands of years old. We have our own languages, customs, food, music, clothes, traditions, which are deeply African. It's a unique culture that has and continues to influence Moroccan and North African identity to be what it is today. And I thought this would be a nice opportunity to let the world know that we exist. Uh, thank you, Max and everyone, for constantly providing an incredibly informative, empathetic and entertaining show. Uh, thank you to everyone who supported us so far around the world. It's a victory for you as much as it is for us. P.S. If Juve can renew Rabio is Rabio is Rabio's contract before our game on Wednesday, that would be great. Cheers. Uh, thank you so much, Adam. Uh, despite your taste in Barry, uh, we appreciate that that email, uh, and that'll do for part two. Uh, we'll round up any other business in part three. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, the Southgate fallout continues. Uh, Robin and Mark Barry thinks Southgate has failed. I want him to stay. That that's harsh. That's, okay, that is an unfair assessment. I think I've noticed just haven't had sort of time to think about it and read all the fallout and coverage that the Southgate it seems to be split into people who think he can do no wrong and people who think he can do no right I'm somewhere in the middle I think he's done a fine job in some regards an absolutely outstanding job but I do think he has obvious shortcomings that need to be addressed does this mean I think he should leave quit or be sacked no I, I can't think of anyone better for the job but I do think his touchline management is very poor and is costing England. Uh, uh, Robin and Mark, fascinated to hear your sort of your review of of that quarterfinal and, and of what Barry said about Southgate, Robin. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I, I'm quite biased because I'm not. I, I'm someone who, while I'd like England to do well, I'm kind of more bothered about what he stands for and how he speaks so eloquently about important issues. And I think I was really thinking back to before he came in and the culture and just the, the narrative around England. And I do think that's maybe a lot of people won't agree with this, but the way he's changed the culture around England and the way that the players, you know, clearly adore him, it's just, it, it's just night and day. When you think about them splayed on the floor against Iceland <laughs> and they just forgot to, how to play football <laughs> and, and it was just so toxic... I just think it's it's been absolutely remarkable. I agree with Barry in that, yeah, maybe, you know, it's difficult to talk about his his tactics and his mistakes because I just don't feel like I, I, I'm in the position to judge on that. 
And I do think, I don't know who else would come in. I, I honestly don't know. And you need someone who would carry on that culture and the, the positivity around, around the England camp. I just think it's, it's bloody hard to win a tournament. Only one, only one country, only one team can win it. And he's got really close. And yeah, maybe, maybe he's made mistakes, perhaps, but he's been the most successful England manager since South Ramsey. So I don't think we can really complain too much about not winning something that's really hard to do. Yeah, I mean, I think he's moved the team on from from the Euros. I know they've reached the final of the European Championship, but I, 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 that, that tournament I didn't think was that great. When you actually analyse England's performances, they played well against Ukraine and for a small period against Germany, but the group stage just wasn't good football. The semi-final against Denmark could easily have gone the other way, and that's why I don't tend to... Look, I, I don't. I think you can get blindsided by just results because you know Harry Kane missed a penalty in that semi-final against Denmark. The ball bounced back to him, and he was able to tap it in, and that looks completely different um, to what happened then against France, where he missed a penalty and then England go out. But I felt he'd have had to go a long way to get the rebound. He, he was <laughs> that, that 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 is right. But I felt that England played you know well in the group stages. Okay, the USA game was. Um, harder but USA and not a team that you can just turn up and just thrash you know they they are um a, a, you know on, on their day a team that's capable of giving um sort of bigger nations in inverted commas in, in terms of sort of footballing history a, you know a, a tough game and the way that England sort of dealt with that last 16 game against Senegal and improved as the match went on changed the way they were playing I, I didn't feel like that was possible in the Euros they just played the same every every kind of minute just felt the same, and then against France, they could uh, you know they could easily have won that game. They didn't win it. I, I've been a critic of Southgate, I would say, um, in his time as, as England manager because I also feel like in you know 2018 they could easily have gone out to Colombia, and he might not, he probably wouldn't even be in the job um, now. So I, I, I feel like he's improving. I like the formation, the way they set up against France. I felt it was the right thing to do. They they played well. I'm sure if somebody else came in, um, you know, you look at the people that are kind of being mentioned. I'm not, you know, Graham Potter, Pochettino, Eddie Howe. I think they would represent the country in the same kind of way that sort of that, um, the way that Southgate has done. Um, but I don't see why any of them really would fancy that job. I mean, two of them have got big club opportunities. And I, I'm just against established nations having foreign managers. I, I, I just fundamentally disagree with that at international level because I think what's the point of international football if it's not your best goalkeeper against the best goalkeeper and the best manager against the best manager and so I, I would be against um, Pochettino for that reason or Thomas Tuchel and so I, I would probably give Southgate the Euros and it, and also it's only what's it, 18 months now until the Euros so it's a quick turnaround I, I, I don't see the point in, in making a change now. Chapello says, why are so many England players starting tweets with words can't describe how devastated they are, followed by paragraphs of words describing how devastated they are? Um, it does seem, Barry, that, that there hasn't yet been a kind of knives-out fallout for, for Harry Kane or for um, the manager or for the, for the players. No, there hasn't. And I don't think there will be. Uh, I think it would have started by now if, if it was going to happen. Everyone has been hugely supportive uh, of of Southgate and of Kane. I was sad to see today, sad but unsurprised to see Troy uh, Townsend flagging up the fact that Bukayo Saka has been getting more racial abuse on Twitter. And I think if it had been... Uh, black player who'd missed the penalty the knives would be out um and that's just a sad fact of life i'm not sure what can be done about it uh beyond trying to identify culprits and prosecute them but I, i'm surprised by how incredibly supportive everyone has been robin i mean i think i mean part of it is you know he's clearly a good guy gareth southgate right that makes a big difference harry kane's is a good guy as, as barry makes a very good point about that and like it it, it shouldn't be reflective of oh, you've done something bad, therefore you get racial abuse or you were good. But I mean, Saka yeah. was the best player on the pitch for England. Like, it's so ridiculous. I mean, it's completely ridiculous. Not that that makes a difference on 
you know, being racially abused, but it's just so, it is, that is just a depressing part of the social media, I guess. Oh yeah, no, totally. Um, and that is, I mean, that just baffles me, totally baffles me. I mean, it, it, as you say, it doesn't matter what happens, but that's really baffling. Uh, I really, really don't get that at all. And it's just awful when you, when you really, you know, I've recently, I've come off Twitter mainly because, you know, it was actually really nice not to be on it and I couldn't check it when I was out in Qatar. But you get kind of just, even just needly comments really got to me and actually it's like, you don't need it. And and it just brings out the worst people. I've not, I've not had racist comments, obviously, but it's just... Did it, you come off, did you come off because you were commentating on the World Cup on BBC One and you just didn't, there will always be people who don't like you. like but Basically, you personally, yeah. Because you're such a horrible person, Robin. But, you know, everybody <laughs> gets sick, right? And you just didn't want to mm. see it. Yeah, exactly. And I, I, I know I, I'm not someone who can handle that very well. And I think it's it's interesting that I feel like, I don't know, the players have to be on social media almost. Um, I guess they don't have to look at it personally, but I guess, mm. I, I don't know, are they forced to be because of their brand? Uh, um, I just, I wonder if you're young, right? You're If you're in your 20s, everyone's on social media. So like, what do you do when you get in the dressing room afterwards? Like at some point you'll mm. pick up your phone, won't you? And you hope that they are managed in a way to say, just don't, I mean, imagine if you have so many million followers, you just don't, your mentions, it just gets too much, right? You just wouldn't be able to see them, but mm, you, you hope exactly. that they get that guidance, right? This, this is a sort of separate, sorry, this is a sort of separate issue and it's on Southgate, just generally, and this is not me blaming him at all, but I think we've all moved on from the, you know, the sort of armband thing because that, that's been forgotten. Barry, you were very strong on this and I agreed with every single word. I really feel like that was a failure in leadership. Um, you know, as soon as a sanction was sort of saying, oh, you might get booked for wearing this, you know, this armband that wasn't even, it was kind of very woolly to start with. Um, it That really, I felt very let down and not, you know, as someone who's not LGBTQ+, but I feel like they must have felt very, very let down. And in terms of like what the England team represented, that would have really been a big blow to to that sort of community. Sorry, that's a bit mm. off topic, but... No, no, not at all. I mean, we're going to do a, a sort of a podcast on Off the Pitch uh, later this week to talk about sort of everything that has happened and, you know, whether things worked that we didn't expect them to and, and how, you know, covering everything, which is obviously quite a lot to cover. Mark, you wanted to come in. Yeah, it was it was more on the, the social media aspect, really, where um, I saw a video with Jermaine Genius talking, um, saying that it's, it's by accident that you see your notifications quite often because you might you maybe just message a friend um, on on and you, you kind of click on uh, maybe the mentions when you don't even you know you're, you're going to blank out the mentions, but you just click on it by mistake, and then you know you can't help but then just see um, the whole. Lit, you know, just abuse after um, abuse, and just on the abuse front. I mean, it hasn't started yet on Harry Kane. I I think it might be interesting when he's playing at away grounds as to how that changes. I mean, he's not the most loved um, guy anyway, um, in sort of terms of away um, venues, and I think he will have to. Uh, unfortunately, put up with a fair bit of stick. You, you know, the songs about you let your country down been aimed at other players before and probably will be him. Um, he's just going to have to deal with with that aspect of it, um, unfortunately. But yeah, I, I would be surprised if he doesn't get that. I think David Heitner wrote a piece in The Guardian, which I read yesterday about, this is like the biggest setback for him into his career. I mean, he said, obviously there's, you know, released by Arsenal, he's lost cup finals with Spurs and everything, but he personally has pretty much done everything he could in those, in those situations. Whereas this was like an error that was totally on him. And obviously, you know, things happen, you know, I don't think, you know, you should blame him, but this is, it's almost like this is the biggest sort of personal setback of his career. So it will be interesting to see how he responds. He comes across as quite a, a strong person, but you could see he looked, I've never seen him look quite so gutted. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, <poor laughs> Sorry, <boy>. Max. <laughs> no, no, that's okay. I just, I mean, it would be great for him. I mean, obviously the chance of Tottenham winning the Champions League is zero or the league, but 
just imagine at the end of this, this the narrative if uh, you know if he managed to have one of those by the end. Fraser says Kyle Walker and John Stones bringing Dave the cat back to Manchester is a lovely little story in contrast to all of the unpleasantness. Yes, Kyle Walker and John Stones adopted a stray cat at Al Wakra training base during their time in Qatar. They called the cat Dave, vowed to take him home if England were to win the World Cup. Or they didn't win the World Cup, uh, but they have taken Dave home nonetheless, and presumably. We do hope that Dave was a stray cat. It didn't have yeah. a little, <laughs> a little I'll be sure. I'll say. Yeah. Are we sure uh, Dave wanted to go to <laughs> live in Manchester? <laughs> no. The weather's shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maybe he's he's like one of those footballers who'd rather be in London. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the bright, bright lights. lights. <laughs> Swanning around uh, the West London with uh, Ben Mee. Mm. Well, that was a big school. If, if if and when Kyle Walker or John Stones move on from Manchester City, who gets custody of Dave? Like that is a big, it's a big question. Something we'll have to follow over. He the might. Years. He'd probably just take up residence at the training ground and then at, at, at City. Yeah, I'd imagine yeah. that would be the. I mean, I know there's there's a cat in my dad's old veterinary surgery that. He just ended up being the resident cat. <laughs> so it doesn't matter who's who's there. Um, <laughs> I, I just want, there's one little thing. I don't know if you've seen this story, which has emerged from the, the USA camp about Gio Reyna. Right. In, so far as a lot of American fans were complaining that he didn't get enough minutes, but apparently his lack of application and attitude at the camp and coming ahead of the World Cup were so bad that they were actually going to to kick him out and send him home. But uh, he was forced then basically to stand up at a team meeting and apologize for his lack of effort, and uh, they they allowed him to stay. But that that is why he didn't get as many minutes as some fans right. thought he should have. I mean, when are you, Barry, going to stand up and apologise to all of us? Anyway, let's let's finish on another dream. Mike says, not a question, just wanted to share my football weekly dream with you. I've been slightly annoyed by the underperformance at Uruguay at this World Cup as I'd drawn them in my work World Cup sweepstakes. I thought I'd gotten over this until Max Rushton appeared to me in a dream. Max, you appeared fronting one of those diesel emissions claim style action groups in a YouTube ad. Did you draw Uruguay in your World Cup sweepstakes? You may be entitled to compensation. After giving my details, I was put in touch with a camo-wearing mercenary who looked like Rambo, but had the voice and mannerisms of Barry. Me and Rambo Barry (laughs) boarded a flight to Asuncion with Barry carrying a suitcase full of high-powered weapons. I I remember discussing with Rambo Barry that Asuncion isn't in Uruguay, to which he replied that they're hiding in Paraguay and that he's the only one that knows how to find the Uruguayan FA, which is why I'd made such a good choice of being represented by Max Rushton's claims group. I woke up before we found them, so I'll never know where the dream was going or how many people Barry would have slaughtered. Do you, <laughs> do you think I have a genuine case for reimbursement of my five pounds from the Uruguayan FA? And how big a cut would you take if you could help me get my claim through? Um... Well, thank you, Mike. Uh, uh, Barry and I will put £2.50 each in our pockets. And if we ever see you, you can demand your fiver. Uh, And that'll do uh, for today's semi-final preview. Thanks, Barry. Thanks, Max. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Robin. Thanks, Max. Uh, Football Weekly was produced by Silas Gray with Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Daniel Stevens. We'll be back on Tuesday for the first semi-final. This is The Guardian.